Hey everybody, welcome to the extra part. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka a new Georgia Bulldogs fan. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. Uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a great, I guess you could say, month and a half of sports for me. So I'm riding a really big high. You on Grizzlies on a ten game win streak. Alabama lost the national championship. Titans got the number one seed in the AFC. Must be nice. You living large and me on the other hand. All my teams taking L's. So, but it's all good. I'm still excited to talk sports with you. And we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we're going to do an in-depth look at the playoffs, more specifically Wild Card Weekend, which is starting this weekend. We're going to look at some of the more recent um, NBA trade news, especially uh, the trade of Cam Reddish to the Knicks that just took place just moments ago. And then we're going to close out the show discussing the what we expect to see out of Kyrie Irving for the rest of the season and if he truly is the most skilled point guard of all time but before we get to any of that please be sure to check out the export.net i repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the export so kicking things off i mentioned the georgia bulldogs earlier and it's because on monday as most of you i'm sure know became national champions after defeating Alabama. And if you know me, you know it's always a good day when Alabama loses a game. But it's not just because of that, but also we got to see some of the biggest and brightest stars in all of college football in that game, particularly on uh, uh, Georgia's defense. So we're going to put the college football uh, the college football player spotlight on that Georgia team. And, Ethan, if you could pick any player on that squad for your Titans to draft, who would it be? Uh, I think I – it's hard because I want to say Jordan Davis because he's my favorite player on their defense. Um, I'm actually still going to ride with Jordan Davis. I mean – I think we have, like we already have a really really good defensive front, but I think it could be something where we could have one of those dominant imposing. Like we were the number one rush defense this past season, and just think to add another big body and being able to mold him and sit him next to Jeffrey Simmons like the type of lineup that we could have for years to come. So I'm gonna ride with Jordan Davis. I feel you. I'm going to go on that second level, and I'm going to go with uh, junior linebacker N'Kobe Dean. This past year, I know the Ravens didn't make the playoffs. It was a lot of blows, but Patrick Queen was definitely a bright spot, and as a defense that runs a 3-4, you can never have too many really good interior linebackers, and that's precisely what N'Kobe Dean was. Won the Buckets Award. Really, on a night-to-night basis, really was just balling out. Had a really good game against Alabama. Had four tackles, tackles for loss. Really was just all over the field and I would love to see the combination of him and Patrick Queen in Baltimore I think that'd be pretty sick do I think it's realistic going to happen nah but I would love to see it but all right let's go ahead and talk the NFL let's look at a recap of week 18 which in my opinion was one of the craziest weeks all season uh, starting off with Saturday's games, the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the Denver Broncos 28-24. to The Dallas Cowboys embarrassed the Philadelphia Eagles 51-26. to uh, Moving on to Sunday's games, the Pittsburgh Steelers stay alive after beating the Baltimore Ravens in overtime 
15th to 13. Congratulations to TJ Watt for tying Michael Strahan's all-time sack record. I mean, well, uh, most sack record sacks in a season record. Uh, the Green Bay Packers were upset by the Detroit Lions 37 to 30, but Devontae Adams did break the Packers' uh, franchise record for single-season receiving yards. So shout out to him. Seattle Seahawks defeated the Arizona Cardinals 38 to 30. Um, the Bengals were swept by the Cleveland Browns, 21-16. Um, Jamar Chase made history by breaking the Bengals franchise record for most receiving yards, topping Chad Ochocinco, a.k.a. Chad Johnson. So congratulations to him. Washington football team beat the Giants, 22-7. Uh, Minnesota Vikings beat the Bears, 31-17. Titans held on to beat the Texans, 28-25. Jags upset and end the Colts seasons, 26-11. Buffalo Bills defeated the Jets, 27-10. Saints beat Falcons 30 to 20, Bucks beat Panthers 41 to 17. Uh Los Angeles Rams are defeated by the San Francisco 49ers for the second time this season in overtime 27 to 24. Uh the Miami Dolphins defeat the Patriots 33 to 24. Jalen Waddle broke the record for rookie receiver receptions. Um, with over 100, so shout out to him. And in arguably the best game of the year, the Las Vegas Raiders decide not to tie with the Chargers and beat them in overtime 35-32. to 32. Um, You and I, Ethan, we both went 9-7. and seven. No crazy big injuries happened for playoff teams. So instead of just talking about takeaways, Let's kind of look at the MVP picture. Just overall, based off this season alone, who would you say were the top three best players in the league? It doesn't have to be in a particular order, but just the top three best players you watched this season. Aaron Rodgers, Jonathan Taylor, TJ Watt. I I feel that on a very spiritual level. Honestly, I don't really have an argument to that. I would go in the same same three guys. The reason why I mentioned that is because instead of doing uh, takeaways for Week 18, um, my next thing is working on each team's MVP. And of course, unsurprisingly, the three players you named were the three MVPs for their respective teams. So unsurprisingly. But all right, let's go ahead and talk the players we were most impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookies of the week. Starting off with you, Ethan, who were you most impressed by on Week 18? Me, I was most impressed by quarter... Actually, no, I'm not even going to go offense. I'm going to go defense. I was most impressed by um, Mad Max of the Raiders in the game where their, their postseason hosts were in the balance. He stepped up big. I think he had he had like eight tackles, three tackles for loss, and two sacks, and one pass breakup. And for a guy, for a team that it's kind of like the Raiders are this juggling high team of the, of the NFL where they can start off really high, then they fizzle out, and then they can have moments where they look really, really good. But in a moment where it's like, hey, when the pressure's on and we need plays to be made, Mad Max stepped up. I would I definitely feel you on that. I'm going to go with another West Coast team, but I'm going to go on the offense side of the ball. I'm going to say Debo Samuel. Literally anything you needed from that man, he gave you. He threw for a touchdown. He rushed for 45 yards and a touchdown and also had 95 receiving yards for the second time this season. I mean, it's safe to say the Rams defense really had no answers for him, and he played a big, really big role in not only that victory, but getting them into the playoffs. All right, who are you most disappointed by? Indianapolis coach team. Um, I understand that you have you have the running thing of you having won in Jacksonville, and I think 
if I'm not mistaken, that happened one in Jacksonville since like 2015. Yeah. And yeah, it's bad. But the thing of it is, is like, man, you are superior. You are the superiorly talented team, and you're fighting for your chance to get to the playoffs. And you came up short. And a lot of these people were talking about the coach, like they might be the team in the AFC that no one wants to see because they have a, a dominant run game. They have a pretty solid defense. Like, the only question mark was Carson Wentz at quarterback. And, like, Jonathan Taylor, he didn't do amazing himself. Like, he only had 77 rushing yards against a not-so-great Jaguars defense. So, I got to say the whole team. Honestly, I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, that game, I know, like, history be damned. I think that that was a game everybody was like, the Colts are going to come out as winners in that one. So not only to see them perform as badly as they did and lose the way they did and then just completely get taken out of playoff contention and reshape the playoff picture was just was ridiculous. I was not expecting that at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you. What about Rookie of the Week? Where are you going? I'm going with Jamar. Can't really go wrong with Jamar. Yeah, you can't go wrong with him, and it's a constant thing. And for him to for him to break the both two astounding records, the you know most most receiving yards for a rookie and the most receiving yards by Ocho in a season, in his rookie season, like that's astounding. And I have to go with Jamar. Fair enough. All right, I'm going to go show some love to the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Um, he played in one of, if not his best game of the season on this uh, this past Sunday, 23 of 32 passing for 223 yards, two touchdowns. This was the most poised I'd really seen him look, and he also did so against a pretty good Colts defense. So congratulations to him. Ended his season on a high note. Now it's time to see what he does in his sophomore year because we saw this past year with sophomore quarterbacks that – the top guys, or clearly the top guys. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to league news, and let's start off with some league signings. First things first, shout out to defensive tackle Vita Vea for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He signed a really big extension with the team, um, worth $73 million with $42 million guaranteed. Shout out to him. But in even bigger news, um, NFL safety, in my opinion, future Hall of Famer, um, Eric Weddle, has ended his retirement that started in, what, 2020, and has decided to join the Rams as a means to play for them during the playoffs. He last, I'm sorry, I lied. He last played in 2019, and he's brought in after the Rams lose starting safety, Jordan Fuller, who is going to be out for the rest of the season with the ankle injury. Now, you and I both know what Eric Weddle could do in his prime, but it's a difference from playing in your prime to not plan in almost two years. So, Ethan, just talk to me. What are you expecting out of Weddle in his time with the Rams? Do you think he has a really significant impact for the team? I don't think so. I think he'll have a steady impact. I don't necessarily see him being a a big difference maker for their team. I do think that it's, it's really interesting that they just bring him in after not playing football for a year. But I also know that he has some, um, if I'm not mistaken, he has some familiarity with the Rams. He Mm -hmm. played for them before. So it makes sense for them to bring someone like him back because he's familiar with with the head coach. I'm pretty sure he's familiar with the defensive scheme that they run. But it's one of those things where it's like he was he was already an older player. Then 
he hasn't played a year in the NFL and you just expect for, to bring him back in honestly the most crucial time of the year and look for him to make plays. Like so I think he I think he'll be steady, but I don't see anything spectacular. Um I agree with you. I think that while Eric Weddle, what helped him out the most like towards the back end of his career was his intelligence. I mean, he's one of the smartest safeties to play the game and where he lacked an offense, physical deficiency still made up for it because he knew the playbook, knew what offense was going to run, knew where they were going to be. But like you mentioned, I mean, you're already kind of a bit long in the tooth. You're already a bit older. And so because of that, it's going to be difficult for your, you know, your body to make the moves or the plays that you could made five, ten years ago. But, I mean, from a Rams standpoint, I understand I'd rather bring in a veteran than just someone who um, really hasn't seen much playing time, especially in the playoffs. Because let's be honest, the Rams secondary has been a big cause of concern for this season. So it's not exactly the decision I would have made, but I can understand their logic behind it. But why did they bring Eric Weddle in? Because it's playoff time, baby. So starting off, I mean, looking at the AFC picture, here's what's taking place. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the Tennessee Titans were the number one seed. They got this weekend off. But uh, the number two seed, Kansas City Chiefs, will be taking on the number seven seed, Pittsburgh Steelers. Number three seed, Buffalo Bills, will be taking on the number six seed, New Orleans. Pa- I mean, New England Patriots. And the number four seed, Cincinnati Bengals, will be taking on the number five seed, Las Vegas Raiders. We'll get to predictions in a bit. But, Ethan, of the playoff games this weekend, which one would you say you were most excited about? Um, from the AFC side, I probably would say the Bengals and the Raiders, simply because that's a it's a newer matchup. Like the Steelers and the Chiefs, that's something that we've already seen this season. The Patriots and the Bills, that's something that we've already seen twice this season. And um, so yeah, I gotta go with the Raiders and the Bengals. And I also think it's just one of those situations where you have two dynamic quarterbacks. Two dynamic offenses. It could be a lot of points scored, and it could be a really exciting game. I'm going to actually say the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots. Um, I think that this will really be the grudge match. They're one and one against each other. And truthfully, I think that there is a lot to prove for both sides. I mean, Mac Jones and both of the games that he played against the Bills, he was not exactly the most stellar player on the field. And same really could be said for Josh Allen. He looked much better in the second timeout, but the first timeout was not the same one. I think that this game will really kind of determine the future of the AFC East and see who's really the top dog in that division. Because even though the Buffalo Bills did win, I still see the Patriots as pretty much neck and neck. All right, let's look at things from the NFC side. The Green Bay Packers, after earning that top seed, they're off. Um, the, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will face the seven-seed Philadelphia Eagles. Number three-seed Dallas Cowboys will be facing the number six-seed San Francisco 49ers. And the number four-seed Los Angeles Rams will be taking on the number five-seed Arizona Cardinals. So, Ethan, same question that I asked for the AFC. Which game are you most excited for? Which is the more exciting matchup? I think to me it's the Cowboys and the 49ers because it's just it's kind of this contrast of we don't we don't know what both teams are going to present. Like at their best, the Cowboys are one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL, and their defense is pretty is pretty good. At the 49ers' best, they're a dominant run team who can make plays in the pass passing game, and they also have a pretty solid defense. But the big question marks is. Are we going to get both of those teams' best efforts? Like, are we going to get 
a, a dominant effort from the Cowboys offense that could potentially put up a ton of points? Are we going to get a a good Jimmy G? Because that's the big question mark for the 49ers is when they're good, that Jimmy Garoppolo's looked really good, but when they're bad, it's primarily because he's not able to lead them to a victory. And just that whole, like, flux of what are we going to get in the entry. And it's also, to me, I feel like it's a good contrast in styles where, yes, the Cowboys, they, they have a really good run game, but they have receivers everywhere, and they love to sling the ball around the field. And then you have the 49ers who, it's stated numerous times, they want to run the ball 30 times a game, and they want to pound it out, and they want to get the ball to George Kittle. And you have exciting players on both sides of the field. Like you have Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb for the Cowboys. You have Debo Samuel and George Kittle for the 49ers. And I think it's just a really good matchup. Honestly, I couldn't have said it better than myself. I mean, I am totally agreeing with you. I think that this is the more intriguing one. I feel like, barring a miracle, I don't think the Bucks lose. And, you know, same really goes for um, – same really goes for the Rams. I think that kind of in seeing that, I'm, I'm not really buying the Cardinals right now, whereas I feel like the 49ers and Cowboys are pretty much neck and neck despite their records coming in. I think that in terms of, like, where one team is strong, the other one can counteract it. So I think it's just – I think that's definitely going to be the most interesting game. But, all right, with the end of the regular season, that also means the return of Black Monday. For those of you who do not know, Black Monday is widely considered – uh, Black Monday, because that is the day that head coaches get fired, general managers, assistant coaches. In other words, heads will roll, and quite a few coaches, including some surprise ones, were fired. So starting things off, um, the Lions decided to let go of offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn. Um in a more shocking news, and you and I talked about this extensively, the Miami Dolphins decided to fire head coach Brian Flores for whatever reason. Um, moving on to the Minnesota Vikings, they fired their head coach Mike Zimmer and general manager Rick Spielman. Unsurprisingly, the Chicago Bears fired Matt Nagy, their head coach. The Denver Broncos fired uh, head coach Vic Fangio. Um, who else am I forgetting? Oh, yeah, general manager for the um, New York Giants, Dave Gettleman, quote-unquote retired, but realistically, he was going to get fired, and this didn't happen on Black Monday, but as we all know, they the Giants also decided to fire head coach Joe Judge. So, like I said, a lot of heads rolled, and so now it just begs the question, which jobs are the best Ethan as we speak I'm sending you the available head coaching jobs and so what we're going to do now is we're going to rank them from worst to best so Ethan do you want to go first you want me to go first uh, we can alternate. all right bet so starting off at number seven to me the most undesirable job is the Jacksonville Jaguars while you can definitely make an argument that they have a lot of potential they're kind of that blank canvas as an established head coach, you might not want to start off with a blank canvas. You'd want to at least have a team that has a little bit of a direction and that's kind of going somewhere. So right now, while I don't think Jacksonville was the worst team on this list, I'm just not as excited for that job as I am for other ones. For me, I'm in agreement with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, they're a blank canvas. They have a lot of holes on their roster. They do have some promising pieces in Trevor Lawrence and James Robinson. 
and some of those receivers that they have. But overall, it, it, it's just a bad franchise in general. Moving on to number six, this may sound like a bit of a shock, but I'm going to say the Chicago Bears. I think that Matt Nagy in that front office kind of put them in an undesirable position because right now you kind of have to retool your offense, particularly a wide receiver. Um, Allen Robinson is more than likely gone. Um, Darnell Mooney, uh, I'm sorry, had a really good year, had over a thousand yards, but even still, you have to bring more pieces around him. You got questions on that offensive line. You got to try to develop Justin Fields. And then moving on to the defensive side of the ball, Akeem Hicks is probably on his way out. Yes, you do have talented Khalil Mack, Roquan Smith, and Eddie Jackson, but just overall, I think that there is a lot of work to be done with this Bears roster before they're really a contender. Plus, you still got to deal with the Packers and Aaron. Aaron Rodgers for the time being? Um, for me at number six, I'm going to say the New York Giants. I think they do have a lot of good pieces in place, but I think the big question mark for them is you have pieces in place, but what are you going to do with quarterback? Because we all know that the NFL is a quarterback-driven league, and we all, from what we've seen so far, we all know that Daniel Jones probably isn't that guy. And it's one of those situations as to where are you going to, once you bring in a new GM and a new um, head coach, you're potentially going to have to find the right quarterback for that team. And that could be a, that could be a strenuous process because you could either, you could look up and find a franchise quarterback or you could be a team in a sense like the Cleveland Browns who have had numerous of starting quarterbacks throughout the tenure of like the past 10 years. Like they've had like 16 plus starting quarterbacks come um come week one in the NFL and I think there's something that's going to hinder them because they don't have a quarterback and they don't have an offensive line and like yes you have talent like Saquon, Kenny Galladay, um, Kadarius Tony, but you need someone in the middle to kind of um, kind of get everything going and be a leader of their offense. I feel you on that. Moving on to number five for me. This is why I have the Miami Dolphins. Like I said, you and I talked a lot about this extensively. I feel like a big reason why they were winning games and were kind of outperforming expectations was because of Brian Flores. I mean, I'm not totally sold on Tua. Honestly, if I was Miami, I would try to – upgrade at that position at some point their run game is rough their receiving core really outside of Mike Jasicki and Jalen Waddle don't leave much to be desired and defensively they're they're pretty all right but I just think overall there's still so many pieces that need to come into Miami and they need a strong leader for that ship to work because I feel like if they get kind of a passive guy or somebody who's not a kind of a disciplinarian like Flores it's not gonna work out um, for me at number five, this is my kind of Chicago Bears. I think defensively it's tough because their defense is getting older and like you stated, they might be losing a couple pieces in Kane Hicks. But they can still have a solid foundation on defense. As far as the offensive side, it's rough because you have a bad offensive line and you have a quarterback that you need to grow and develop. But on the offensive side of the ball, you do have weapons like you mentioned, Darren Mooney. You have David Montgomery, and they have they have pretty decent tight ends. Yes, you might lose um, Adam Robinson, but you have you still have building block pieces. I think the thing for them is they just need to get someone. They just need to get continuity in the front office and the coach. And if they get that, and you get someone that can help steer them in a certain path, and they stick to their path. I think that they could be pretty good. I don't 
don't see them winning the NFC North anytime soon, but I can see them progressively getting better throughout the course of the year. All right, moving on to number four. This is why I have the New York Giants. The biggest reason why is because, as you mentioned, they do have talent on both sides of the ball. I mean, you got Saquon, um, Kadarius Toney, who they just spent a first-round pick on, uh, just gave a lot of money to Kenny Galladay. And then defensively, this past year was definitely a letdown, but the year before they looked like a top 10, 15 unit in the league. And I think that, as you mentioned before anything takes place, you got to do something at quarterback. Daniel Jones cannot be the future. If he is, you're just setting yourself up for failure. But I feel like if they can get a good enough quarterback there, which I know is easy, much easier said than done, this Giants team could really be a threat to not even, maybe the league on the whole, but at the very least their division. Let's be honest, the NFC East is the worst division in the league. And honestly, if you put a good quarterback or at least a competent one in New York, I think that they could become a playoff team sooner rather than later. Um, for me, this is where I'm going to have the Minnesota Vikings. I'm, Minnesota Vikings, I'm sorry. The Miami Dolphins. Yes, I understand that. I think I do agree with you. I think having Brian Flores as the head coach attributed to a lot of their success. But I also think that they still have, if they could bring in the right head coach and they can get someone to buy in, they still can continue to win games because they still have a really, they have a lot of good pieces on defense. Yes, their question marks around two, but towards the end of this season, two will show flash that he could potentially be the quarterback that they, that they were looking for. And, they, the only thing, in my opinion, that they need is they need to get better weapons. Like they, they need a better running back. They haven't shown they haven't shown a good running game this season, and they have Eric Waddle. But it's one of those situations where it's like you can't have your whole passing game. You, they have Eric Waddle and Mike Gesicki, but you can't have your whole passing game simply rely on one wide receiver and one tight end. Like you kind of need to be able to spread the ball out and get everybody involved. And they don't have a solid number two option. But I think that you could potentially find someone in the draft. Or I think, if I'm not mistaken, they have the most cap space out of any team going into this offseason. They could make a couple signings and we can look up and it could be a completely different team. I could definitely see that. All right, moving on to number three. This is why I have the Minnesota Vikings. I know that... It's kind of hard right now being on the Kirk Cousins bandwagon. But if you look at that team just from top to bottom, they have some of the most talent in the league. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, um, Dalvin Cook, three of the threat, one of the best trios in the NFL period defensively. Patrick Peterson had a strong year coming back. Eric Kendricks is very good. Harrison Smith is a dog. Daniil Hunter, if they're able to bring him back. If they can bring back um, Anthony Barr is another one. Cam Dantzler is a guy who showed a lot of progress in his second year. So they definitely have overall the names and faces to be a reputable team what has really been holding them back one can say it was Mike Zimmer one could maybe say it's Kirk Cousins but either way if you look at this roster from top to bottom they are a team that has just been underperforming because they have the talent and I think that if you get the right head coach there maybe you do make that head coaching change maybe you just bring in a couple more veterans to help with the overall leadership and this is a team that can really be up at the very least a playoff contender or if Aaron Rodgers decides to retire and then it's the Jordan Love show in Green Bay, they could really take over the NFC North. For me, I'm in agreement with you with Minnesota. Everything that you stated as far as the defensive side of the ball is true. I think 
another bright spot for them is, yes, they have Kirk Cousins, their quarterback, but they also have, in my opinion, they have a top five wide receiver duo in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. 100%. And when both of those guys are on the field, it's it's a it's, – and you have Diamond Cook in the run game. If you bring in – if you could bring in the right quarterback, that could be a dangerous, dangerous offense. And they were pretty good when everyone was healthy. I think that's been the big thing that people fail to understand with the Vikings is like they've had good teams. Yes, they've had moments for Kirk Cousins has cost them games. But a big thing with them has also been injury. Like Davin Cook is an amazing player, but he's an often he's an often injury prone player. And he's been injured in key points for the Vikings when they needed to get, pick up big wins and they needed to rely on him sometimes. And I think that's, that's been a big benefactor of what's going on with their franchise. But if you bring in a right-headed coach and you evaluate a different quarterback or you just bring in somebody that can further help develop Kirk Cousins to push him a step above where he's at, then you can look up and you can see the Vikings, like you said, in the playoffs this season or next. Most of all right, moving on to number two, I'm going the Las Vegas Raiders. One thing I will say is that most of these other teams don't have is they know who their quarterback is. They're not going to be heading into the offseason stressing about their quarterback or who's going to be their starting running back. They have at least those pieces in place. And while there are some holes in their roster, for example, they have to hit on a wide receiver, that is going to be a huge need, especially with just the hot mess that was this season. Defensively, I'm sure they want to bring in a couple more cornerbacks. But overall, they have a pretty solid roster. And other than that, they're very gritty. The Raiders are going to compete. While we're nobody's putting them on the level of the Chiefs or any of the other top AFC teams, they are still a team that is going to go out there and give everything they have. Like you mentioned, they're kind of that Jekyll and Hyde, hot and cold. But when they're good, they're good. I mean, they did finish the season out on a four-game win streak. They are in the playoffs. They've shown that they can score with just about anybody. And I think that as a future head coach, just not having that strength of having to replace Derek Carr is going to be a huge, huge thing. Uh, for me, my number two is going to be the Denver Broncos because they have a – I think they have good they have good pieces on the defensive side of the ball. I think the loss of Von Miller might kind of bring them down a tad bit on their side of the ball. But I think a lot of the mystique around them is they have these good wide receivers. They just need a quarterback. And the thing of it is, is, yes, the Broncos have been attached to high-profile names at quarterback. They've been attached to um, Deshaun Watson. They've been attached to Aaron Rodgers. But the reality of it is, is those guys aren't there. And if you're basing the, the hierarchy of that type of job, depending on you could potentially get an all-time quarterback, I can't put that much stock into it, but I can say – they do have good pieces in place, and they're better off. They're, they're better off sitting than some of the teams that we just listed. But my big thing is who, for them, who's going to be kind of similar to the Giants. What makes what my big concern with them is who's going to be your signal caller. If you're able to say Aaron Rodgers decides to leave Green Bay and then he goes to Denver, then in my opinion. They're, uh, they're an instant Super Bowl contender because of what they already have in place to you bringing in the best quarterback or arguably the best quarterback in the game. Some people will say Patrick Mahomes is a toss-up. But I think a lot of the mystique around that is like this hypothetical of, hey, we can get it. We can 
Deshaun Watson or A Rod. I'm going to say I have the Broncos as my top spot, mainly because in terms of just overall roster, I think they have the most roster of any of the available teams. I know you're saying, like, it kind of hinges on who their quarterback will be. Like, don't get me wrong, if you get Aaron Rodgers immediately, you're going to transcend up some power rankings. You're going to be a much better team. But I think that it's kind of that same situation that I said earlier. I feel like the Broncos have a good enough roster to where – it's clearly it can't just be like a game manager like Teddy Bridgewater. No disrespect to him. They need to step above that. But I feel like if they can get a above average quarterback like a Jimmy G, I think if Jimmy Garoppolo went there, it will be a great signing. And I think that this will be a playoff team. Why? Because they have a really good run game and Javante Adam. I mean Javante Williams and uh, Melvin Gordon. If they bring him back, receivers they got those out the wazoo. Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy. They have tight end and Noah Fant. Defensively, I mean their secondary. Even when they were going through their injuries, still look like one of the top units in the league. And I mean even after losing. Um, Von Miller, which of course was a big blow. I mean, they still just showed their front seven could be capable. Shelby Harris was really good on the D line. Then you have other guys there who, um, like Malik Reed, who was really good before he got hurt. Um, Alexander Johnson is another linebacker. Like they were hit pretty hard in their linebacking group, but when they were all healthy, the Broncos defense looked really, really good. And I think that you get an above average quarterback in the Broncos, and I think that like uh, Vic Fangio said before he got fired, the thing that's only the only thing holding him them back is they don't have a top shelf quarterback. They get that top shelf quarterback. I think that's all she wrote. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the reason why I say I have the Raiders as number one is honestly they already have a top shelf quarterback. The only thing that they're missing, in my opinion, is they're missing piece. They're missing a number one, a true number one wide receiver, and they're missing some pieces on defense. Because their defense, they can play, they can make plays. They have pieces in place to make plays. They have Matt Crosby. They have um, what's the safety name? Jonathan Adams, mm-hmm. not Jonathan Adams. Josh Abrams. Yeah, Josh Abrams. I'm sorry. And um, so they have pieces. I think they, like you stated, I think they do need to reinforce the cornerback position. But overall, their defense isn't terrible, and their offense isn't too bad neither. I think they just need, I. Truly think they just need someone to put them in a direction. I don't like. I understand Josh Gruden. He's an amazing. He was he was an amazing coach in his heyday, and he was a guy that could um that could galvanize players, and he was great with quarterbacks. But I think they like you said they're gritty, and I think they kind of need a gritty coach. Like they need someone that kind of fits into that mantra of like the brashness of that Raiders team and. Maybe they can find it. I honestly think they might have actually found it in their interim head coach. Mm-hmm. I really like what he's done with their team. And um, from what I, I, I listened to Bustin' with the Boys podcast hosted by Will Compton, he's a former Titans player, and he's he's a former Raiders player. He actually was on – he was in the game, played in the game that they won this past Sunday. And he was like, that's the type of coach that they got, that they love. He was like – that's a guy that they'll run through a wall for at any given time. He he knows how to reach their team. And maybe they might have already had that, found that coach. So, But I think they just have, in my opinion, outside of the defensive side of the ball, they have a lot of good weapons. And I feel like on the defensive side of the ball, you make a move or two and you could be competent with 
a um, Elijah Broncos type of defense. I feel you on that. All right, so do you, the, do you think this is finally the year that Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan and returns to the NFL? Because there's been rumblings about it. Apparently a recruit told um, a source that uh, Harbaugh disclosed to him that he may be making the switch to the NFL. So do you think this is the year that Harbaugh does it? And if, if so, what team would you want him to go to? I can see, I can put some stock into it. Because, um, I mean, I feel like, him in Michigan, he's he's been he's had underwhelming success. Like he's had successful seasons to a, to an extent. But for one, when you're at Michigan, if you don't beat Ohio State, that's basically in their opinion, it's basically an unsuccessful season. And he's done it numerous of times. And this season he made it to the CFP. He did all those things that people expected him to do, but then they they got destroyed, and it's honestly not his fault because they played a superior team. But I think he might have ran out of his tenure at Michigan might be up. And where would I see him going? Um, honestly, I can see him being a Chicago guy because he he's a former player, he's a former quarterback there. He the type of brand of football that he likes to play, especially when it came kind of to the NFL game is very similar to the type of football that Chicago fans know. Like, he still, he likes to, even though he's an offensive guy, he likes to have a strong defense. He likes to run the ball. And you could do those things in Chicago. And I feel like he's the type of guy that could honestly and truly help Justin Fields. Because people, the reason I connect him with Chicago is because when he was in San Fran, he had Colin Kaepernick. And... Justin Fields had similar skill sets to a Colin Kaepernick. I'm not saying they're the same quarterback. I think as a thrower, Justin Fields has better arm talent than Colin Kaepernick, but they have similar athletic capabilities. And I think that Jim Harbaugh could be the guy that can unlock that in Justin Fields. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think that this was easily the best year that he had since joining Michigan. But as you mentioned, I mean, in the college football playoff, they got – they got destroyed. I mean, they got outperformed. Um, I could see him going, coming back to the NFL just because I don't think anybody just wants that stagnation. Like, they're good, but they're just not get it good enough to win it all. And Harbaugh is a quarterback who – I mean, a quarterback, a head coach who went to the Super Bowl with a team who, at the time when he acquired the 49ers, they weren't that great. And so the fact that he was able to do that, I'm sure he has a really high expectations for himself, and he wants to be able to continue that trend. So I could definitely see him making the switch back to the NFL. And I'm in agreement with you. I also agree with Chicago. And also he was a backup quarterback for the Colts for a time. I mean, not the Colts, the uh, Bears, if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, so I think that that would be a great fit for him. He gets the opportunity to be with the defensive team. He can really make the defense in his image, has a young quarterback that he can kind of help remake a team that is tough, which is something that we know that Harbaugh looks for. So, no, I think that that would actually be probably the best move. But, all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. And we're going to start off with Carson Wentz. Yes, we, we – the question, the conversation of, is Carson Wentz going to remain the quarterback for the Colts beyond this season? Because let's be honest, he played a pretty big role in the team's loss. Um, 
was 17 of 29 passing, had 185 yards, a touchdown, but also threw a pick and lost a fumble. It was a rough overall game for Mr. Wentz. So much so that Dan Orlowski on first take said that Carson Wentz was to blame for the Colts' loss. And when asked about the decision to keep Carson Wentz, Chris Ballard, the GM for the Colts, said, at the time, we felt it was the right decision. He went also went on to say, I'm not going to make a comment on who is going to be here next year and who is not. So, believable. Carson Wentz ended his Colts tenure with his Week 18 performance. I believe he did. I think that he had, he showed flashes of being the old Carson Wentz that was the um, MVP candidate in Philadelphia, but more times than not in this season, he had a lot of a lot of mishaps, and he had the he had probably one of his biggest his worst games in the biggest game of their season against a superiorly inferior opponent in the Jaguars, and I think that's something when you look at the Colts roster, they have a playoff potential. They have a playoff potential um, roster. You just have to bring in the right quarterback. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that – I don't think that, you know, this last game was just the worst. I think that throughout the season we really saw that when Jonathan Taylor was not going at full speed or at his absolute best, the Colts offense suffered. And when the ball was in Carson Wentz's hands to win games, it just did not work a la both times they played the Titans. So with that being said, I think that uh, Week 18 was definitely kind of the cherry on top and really just showed that they can do better. The only problem is he has a lot of money on his contract, so that may be something that kind of uh, makes it a bit harder to move him, but I would not be shocked if the Colts decide to move on. Now, moving on to another quarterback who the Bucks have no plans of moving on from, uh, Tom Brady, who Bruce Arians said should defiantly be the MVP, said, I think if he doesn't get it, it's a travesty. Most completions ever, 5,000 yards, touchdowns, the whole nine yards. To me, it's not even a close race. And Arians does have a bit of a point. At the age of 44, Tom Brady set career highs in yards, completions, which is also the most ever, first downs and game-winning drives, which he tied. His 43 um, passing touchdowns were second to his 2007 season when he threw 50. Tom Brady balled out and, in essence, may have beaten the father time. But should he be the MVP? I'm calling buffoonery. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. I think Tom Brady, he had he had an amazing season. But I think a big part of what you equate to MVP is team success. And I think at least going into this season and seeing where the Buccaneers are now, I believe the Buccaneers underperformed. I thought that they – I felt like they would be a team that would be vying for the number one overall seed. And I understand that they've had injury issues and things of that nature. But still, when you look at the Packers, they they had injury issues and they had things that go on in their organization. But at the end of the day, they had Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers was enough to put them as the number one overall seed in the NFC. So with that being said, I think it's buffoonery. Yeah, I agree with you. And also, I mean, Aaron Rodgers did so with less weapons. And I know you make the argument he threw for 5,000 yards, blah, blah, blah. But we also have taken into account that 
Um, Aaron didn't play a game. Aaron missed the game because of COVID, and then he didn't play the second half of the um, Lions game this past week, and I want to say Tom played the whole game. So, of course, the numbers are going to be a bit skewed, and plus, I mean, he doesn't have the receiving core Tom Brady has, especially including tight ends. So, no, I disagree. All right, so, but let's go ahead and keep things in the NFC South and keep talking about the Carolina Panthers. So, a rumor came out that the Panthers would be willing to listen to offers for Christian McCaffrey. Caffrey, though the team has not, has not confirmed that this is true or not, I mean, it could be nice to bring in some draft capital or possibly bring in a quarterback. So, believable or buffoonery, the Panthers should move on from Christian McCaffrey. I think they should. I think if you're able to trade Christian McCaffrey and get, like you stated, some draft capital and – and a quarterback or some, or a quarterback, I think is the right move because I hate to say it in the reality of it, Christian McCaffrey has been very injury prone. He's a great player when he's healthy and he's on the field, but you don't know how long he's going to actually be on the field. Very similar to Dalvin Cook. And another thing is, you can bring in a running back. They might not do. They might not necessarily be the dual threat type of running back that Christian McCaffrey is. But you can bring in a running back, and that could be really successful. But if you get the chance to come off of him and get potentially a franchise quarterback or a quarterback with a higher um, ceiling than anyone that they have, I would do it. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I know that Christian McCaffrey, for the better part of his career, has been the best part of their offense, but these past few years he hasn't been able to play much and of course like I'm not putting injuries on him I mean when you when you're on the field as much as he is unfortunately injuries are bound to happen but I just think that like you mentioned I mean running backs are great and when you have a great one you have a great one but this is still a quarterback league and right now the Panthers have been one of the worst um, teams in the league in terms of overall quarterback play for the last few years Sam Darnold clearly wasn't the answer bringing back Cam Newton wasn't the answer so the best bet is to try to be aggressive with the position and try to make something happen with that and if that moves means moving Christian McCaffrey, you got to do what you got to do because running backs, unfortunately, come a dime a dozen. And like you mentioned, while they may not be as explosive as McCaffrey, they'll still be able to help get the job done. All right, let's move up to the AFC North, and let's talk Baker Mayfield. Ahead of their Week 18 game, reports started to come out via Ian Rappaport that the Browns are expected to keep Baker next season to play him out of his final year of his contract. So, believable or buffoonery, the Browns are making the right decision riding into 2022 season with Baker Mayfield. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say believable. And the reason I'm saying believable is, yes, I don't think Baker is a supremely talented quarterback, but I will say one of the things that I can attribute to him this season is he he was injured a lot during this season, and that diminished his play. And I think that if you can get Baker back healthy and he remains healthy next season, then you can finally truly make the decision on, hey, do we want to re-sign him or not? Because then if you if you let him play out next season, it's simply you just let Baker go. And you don't have to think about trying to find a trade suitor or anything like that. You can let him go and you can test the free agent market or you can look to make trades to bring in someone else that you want. But you can have a you can have another crack in seeing what Baker could truly be at full health. 
I'm going to say it's a bit of both, mainly because while Baker is not great, I'm not a Baker Mayfield fan. I think that really this past year he was the worst quarterback in the AFC North. I think that, unfortunately, what better quarterback are you going to get? Like, I feel like it's a case of, right, right now with this rookie quarterback class, there's so many questions you may not want to just immediately try to jump ship. Yes, of course, the name Deshaun Watson is always going to be thrown out there, but are y'all in a position to get him? And honestly, Aaron Rodgers, if he doesn't retire, of course, he'd be a major upgrade. Russell Wilson, if he actually gets traded. But realistically, I just... On the one hand, I would if I'm the Browns, I would want to upgrade. I just wouldn't want to be stuck with mediocrity because that's pretty much what you're getting in Baker. But on the other hand, it's not many other options that you would get that would be like a clear upgrade. And if you're not getting a clear upgrade, it's no point of pretty much just starting over. So I'm kind of in the middle on this one. All right, let's go ahead and move on. And we got to talk about that Chargers-Raiders game. That, as we all know, had the – uh, Raiders not kicked that game-ending field goal. Both teams could have tied and made it to the playoffs. But a lot of attention is going on Brandon Staley's um, decision to call timeout on third and four. Um, when asked about his late-game timeout and how he felt it changed the game, he said, I don't think it changed their mindset because they were going to run the ball before and then ran the ball the very next play. So we want to make sure we got our run defense in there. My mindset was to make the field goal as long as possible. Derek Carr admitted that uh, Staley's decision to call the timeout did have an effect on the game, saying, yeah, it definitely did. Obviously, we, but we knew no matter what we want, we didn't want to tie. We wanted to win the football game. So, believable or buffoonery, Brandon Staley's decision to call timeout cost the Chargers a playoff spot. Believable. Um, it's been numerous situations where you've heard reports. You've even seen the video where Austin Eckler asked the player from the Raiders, where you guys going to run the clock out? And he said yes. Right. Um, I understand Derek Carr said that in the press conference after the game, but I feel like this one of those situations to where it's like before you went in there, the coach or whoever came to you and said, hey, this is what I want you to say. But the way that everything was looking, it was showing signs that they were just going to run the clock out because they didn't call a timeout or anything. They ran the ball. And honestly, you want to get your run defense in, like, as long as you – like, I understand it's a big what if. But I think that going in that moment, the way that it was looking and the way that everything was set up, I think they were going to let that thing tie, and they both make it to the playoffs. And I think that that timeout cost them because it was one of those things where it's like, I think I saw where people uh, read a report where it was like, oh, so he called his timeout because he's actually trying to win the game. And once that happened, it was like, hey, since you want to do that, now we're going to actually win and do what we have to do to actually win the game. And then they went and proceeded to win the game. Yeah, pretty much everything you just said, I'm in agreement with. Yeah, I think that – that decision really cost him. I remember watching the game and, like, I yelled. I was like, why would you call timeout? Like, I just feel like it did cost them because, like you said, it really just, like, changed the mindset. Of course, like, I'm not saying the Raiders were just going to, like, lay down, but I definitely think they were like, all right, we're just going to go tie. Like, we're not going to try to do anything too flashy. But in calling timeout, it was kind of just a challenge to them that they they won. So, yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement with you. All right, last piece before we make our playoff um, Super Wild Card Weekend predictions. This was, this was an interesting one. 
With the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers making the playoffs, as we all know, because the Raiders won that game, let's be honest, not everybody is the happiest or that enthusiastic to see the Steelers in the playoffs, but they're there. Um, And it's kind of funny because in a recent uh, press conference, Big Ben talked about the team's playoff game against the Chiefs and said, as a group, you understand we probably aren't supposed to be here. We're probably not a very good football team. Out of 14 teams, I think are in... Uh, We're probably 14. We don't have a chance, so let's go in and just have fun. But Kyle Brandt of NFL Network's Good Morning Football had a very interesting comment to make about them making the team, making the playoffs, and said, compared them to the 2001 76ers and said they didn't belong in the finals. Allen Iverson was that good, and that's number 90, referring to T.J. Watt. So... Believable or buffoonery, the Pittsburgh Steelers can pull a 2001 76ers in this year's NFL playoffs and make a strong playoff push. Buffoonery. Um, I think it's hard just because of everything that they would have to overcome. Um, like you, first and foremost, you would have to overcome the Chiefs, who arguably. Should a lot in a lot of people's minds, they they are the best team in AFC. Like they discredited my Titans, but it's cool. And then after there, you have to go to go through another round, and then you meet in a division around. So I don't, I don't see it. I do, I do think that the only thing dangerous about Pittsburgh is when they're in this position, they're playing with house money. It's like they don't necessarily – they really don't have nothing to lose because their mindset can be like, hey, we don't have to we, – we weren't we weren't supposed to be here, but we're going to play our butts off and we're going to – and they could potentially make something like drastic happen. Like I could – I'm not going to predict them to be the Chiefs, but I could very well look up and see at the end of that game they beat the Chiefs. And I would be surprised in the fact that they won, but I wouldn't be surprised in the fact that – they won because the Steelers are a very prideful organization and they do have a lots of good pieces on their team. They might not be the most complete team. Their quarterback isn't the best quarterback in the playoffs at all. But that defense they have deficiencies as far as stopping the run. But honestly the Chiefs aren't a run dominant team. And when you put the game in the hands of Patrick Mahomes and you have a freak of nature like JJ White, you have another really good solid veteran in Cameron Hayward on their team and you have Big Fitzpatrick. Like things can happen. But I don't see it. But I wouldn't be surprised if something crazy if I wouldn't be fully surprised if something crazy happened this past or after this first game. I don't think it's gonna be as bad as the loss they had earlier this season, but I'm, I I don't have much faith in the Steelers. I'm calling buffoonery. And, yes, T.J. Watt is a bad mofo. He is, in my opinion, without a doubt, the undisputed defensive player of the year this year. It's not close. But it can't just be him to get them there. He has to rely on his corners to be able to stop people, which we saw last time they played that they could not do. As you may also, their run defense had been terrible this season. And while the Chiefs aren't that run-crazy team, they do have players like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. If he's able to play, um, Daryl Williams is another guy who you could see a lot from. So, yeah, no, I'm not, not, not buying that. 
But all right, let's go ahead and make our super wild card weekend prediction, starting with Saturday's first game. The Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Las Vegas Raiders, a rematch of their Week 10 game. I got Bengals. Yeah, I have Bengals as well. This was a tough one, but next, the New England Patriots versus the Buffalo Bills. I have really wrestled with this one, but I think I'm going to go Patriots. Yeah, we're in the greens. I'm going Pats. Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. It's nice that the Eagles made it, but this is where their stop ends. I got Bucks. Yeah, I got Bucks. San Francisco 49ers versus the Dallas Cowboys. I guess this is my upset of the week. I'm going 49ers. I'm in agreement. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I already said I got Chiefs. I got Chiefs. All right, last game taking place on Monday. First playoff game to take place on a Monday, I think, in NFL history. The Arizona Cardinals versus the Los Angeles Rams. Grudge match for the NFC West. I got Rams. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie we are watching. For me, offensively, I'm watching Joe Burrow. This is your first playoff game, or at least NFL playoff game, and I'm excited to see what you can do. The first time out against the Raiders, it was not exactly his most productive outing, but that doesn't mean he had a necessarily bad game, but I think that this week he has a chance to really take over. Um, for me, offensively, I'm actually going to be watching Big Ben. Um, this, is, this is his home song, and... Like I stated, I I very well predict that they're going to lose, but maybe Big Ben turns the clock back and he pulls a rabbit out of the hat and something amazing happens. Let's hope not. Uh, defensively, I'm watching Levante David. As we all know, the Bucks did kind of get hit with the injury bug a few weeks back, and one of those biggest injuries was losing linebacker Levante David. But he is back in the fold, and I can't wait to see him. Um, the Eagles have really turned their run game around throughout the season. They lead the league in average rushing yards per game at 160, if I'm not mistaken. Now, of course, the Bucks front front line is definitely going to play a big role in it, but also Levante David is going to be there to do some cleanup. I'm going to be looking at Michael Parsons. Um, they're going up against the San Fran team, like I stated. When they're at their best, they want to run the ball down your throat. And Michael Parsons is, right now, he is the epitome of the highest breed of a hybrid player. He can make plays as a pass rusher, as a tackler. And I think they're going to need all of those efforts for them to beat San Fran on Sunday. Um, are they playing Sunday? They play, uh, yes, they play on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. All right, my rookie I'm watching is Mac Jones. I mentioned it early in the show. His first two times out against the Bills were not exactly his best work, but this is his opportunity to prove himself, and I think that unlike the first couple of times, it'll be more than him. Um, I mean, more than just the pay- Patriots run game if they're going to get this victory. Um, for me, my rookie, I'm going to, I'm going to double look. Actually, I'm going to triple look. It's Mac Jones, Jamar Chase, and Najee Harris. I think that they all are going to play. In order for their teams to win, they're all going to have to play critical roles for their team. Like you said, Mac Jones, he hasn't had that great of a great success against the Bills as far as a statistical standpoint, but he but he can change that this, um, this upcoming week. And Najee Harris, like I stated, when you're playing the Chiefs, if you have a good run game and you could potentially see Patrick Mahomes to have him just looking on the sideline, toiling his hair or whatever, 
you could potentially run that clock, milk that clock, get time of possession, the, the more likely you have a chance to win. If Demar Chase, that man, in my opinion, from what I've seen, I understand that I just saw Justin Jefferson last year. Jamar Chase is the best rookie wideout I've ever seen, personally. I don't know about you, but with that being stated, I think he's going to have a big game. He's going to be a, a key focal point is the reason why they win. I can see that. I mean, I I have a hard time disagreeing with you. I mean, Jay Jettas was amazing last year, but Jamar was amazing too. It was weird because in college, like, they – not to say they were neck and neck like Jamar was a better college receiver. At this present moment, I think that overall – Justin is better, but I think with another year, Jamar could catch him. But, I mean, as long as y'all showing love to LSU players, that's all I care about. But, um, yeah, my team I'm calling out is the Kansas City Chiefs. I know everybody's ex- expecting them to win. Everybody's picking them to win. Honestly, I didn't want the Steelers to make the playoffs in the first place, but now that they're here, I just want to see them to get their butts kicked. So, Kansas City, just do your freaking job. Um, I think for me, the team I'm calling out, uh, I'm calling out the Eagles. I know I'm expecting them to lose, but I also understand that the Buccaneers, they're dealing with a lot of injuries. And when you're dealing with injuries, that can make room for mistakes. And you know how I feel about Tom Brady. I don't mm. want him to win Super Bowl number eight. Oh, I don't either. So, yeah, if there's some way that the Eagles could finagle a way to put him out in the first round, I would love it. I totally understand. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this past week of action? Top three takeaways are um, the Memphis Grizzlies are their squad. That's obvious right now. Number two, Draymond Green is a very focal call to the Warriors, and that's been shown in these two games that he has been on the court. And number one, um, you know, the Eastern Conference, those, that's a, it's a weird mix because you have a lot of things going on. Like you have this other situation where Kyrie is coming back part time. Then you have the Chicago Bulls, who overall have looked amazing, but then they played the Knicks last night and they got annihilated. And you have Philly, who Joel Embiid is a, mon- a monster amongst boys. And you have the Bucks who are kind of just like people aren't really talking about them because and they're just treading along and being a really good team. So the East is really competitive right now. I feel you on that. All right, speaking of the East, let's start off with our Eastern Mamba of the week. And I'm going to show some love up north, and I'm going to go Fred Van Vliet. I know that right now the Raptors are not a team that people really have their eyes on, really haven't been in the last couple of years, but Fred has been balling this past week. Um, had a stretch of a 37-10-10 and 10 game, then followed that right back up with a 32-point game, had a really solid um, game against the Suns um, just a couple nights ago. I mean, honestly, I like I mentioned, the Raptors right now are not really a playoff team, but they still are putting forth really good performances, and Fred VanVleet has been that guy for them and has played a really big role in their recent win streak. So I'm going to show some love to Fred. Yeah, you, I'm not going to go fake Drake. I'm going to go Joel Embiid, which Fred has been balling. But like I stated, I'm going with Joel Embiid. He has been a monster since he's come back from COVID. I think he's had, like, if I'm not mistaken, seven to eight straight games where he's had 30-plus points. And 
for me, a, a team like Philly without Ben Simmons and the whole show running solely through Joel and B, like that's that's dangerous because you've seen how effective they are. And who's to say if I don't think it'll happen in season, but if they're able to get trade Ben Simmons and get a really good piece in return and you integrate that in with Joel and B and they and it kind of clicks, they could be a really dangerous team come playoff time. But I'm going Joel. All right, moving on to the Western Conference. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. For the third straight week, I'm going Ja Morant as my Western Mamba of the week. Yeah, Big 12. There's nobody else. Like, I understand Bron doing what Bron doing, and I love Bron for what he's doing, but it's Big 12. It's Ja Morant, and it can't be nobody else. Yeah, no disrespect to anybody else, but, I mean, you helping lead your team to a 10-game win streak, you beating some of the best teams in the Western and Eastern Conference. I mean, I can't. I, I can't ignore that. And my rookie Mamba of the week, I, I'm i not sure if this is his first time getting it, but shout-out to Cam Thomas, a rookie for the Brooklyn Nets, had that game winner this past week. I cannot for the life of me remember who he hit it against. But coming into the NBA, everybody – thank you. Everybody knew that he was a baller. Everybody knew that he could produce offensively, and we're really starting to see that. And he also had a 20-point game against Portland a few nights ago. So going to show love to Cam. Uh, for me, I'm going with another all-reliable. I'm going to Evan Mobley. Um, since he's been back, he's kind of picked up where he left off, and he's continued to be a key cog in Cleveland's surprise resurgence, I guess is the best word that I can use to describe them. Um, being a uh, playoff caliber team in the Eastern Conference. Fair enough. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to some NBA trade news, starting off with um. First trade that happened this past week was uh, the Detroit Pistons um, are fi- finalized a trade with the Nuggets to acquire Bol Bol. In return, the Nuggets will acquire Rodney Magruder in a second-round pick. Um, and then this happened like an hour or so ago. The uh, New York Knicks made the trade for Cam Reddish and Solomon Hill in a 2025 second-round pick, while the Hawks will receive Kevin Knox in a 2022 first round pick and it seems that the Hawks apparently are not done reported from Woj um is saying that the Hawks are open for business but let's look at this trade who do you think won this Knicks Hawks trade what do you think it means for Cam Reddish oh the Knicks won this for sure because I think a big thing with the Knicks is they they needed shooting and they needed defense and Solomon Hill and Cam Reddish can do that and Cam Reddy, in the case of Cam Reddy, she also, and since he's been back once he's returned from injury in the playoffs, he showed that he could potentially add more to his game. Like, he's shown that he could kind of handle the ball a little bit and make his own shot and create his own shot and things of that nature. So I have to say the Knicks, and it's just one of those things where, like, if you can insert him into, I'm not going to, I wouldn't say maybe the starting lineup, but he could come off the bench and he could be a guy that can, um, him and once Derrick Rose returns from this surgery, if he returns this season, they could be key calls for your bench. And you bring in Solomon Hill, who I know personally from being from him from his one brief half a season in Memphis, he's a really good veteran. He's a guy that you want to have in the locker room. He's a guy that he's a consummate professional, and he's still a capable player that can knock shots. And honestly, I know like over the past. Two seasons, the only thing that people remember him for is the little incident that he had with LeBron. 
Well, Solomon Hill has been a good player um, throughout the course of his career. So I definitely got to go with the Knicks. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, Cam Reddish was a guy whose name has kind of been bounced around for trade talks and for over a year. But then he had those really strong performances while Trey Young was out in the playoffs, and it made him an even hotter commodity. Um, unfortunately, like we all know, it didn't work out in Atlanta. But I think that going to the Knicks could really be a nice – a fresh start for him and provide a new opportunity. So, yeah, no, I think that they definitely run won this, especially looking at – no offense to Kevin Knox, but, I mean, since he's been in the NBA, he's definitely been underperforming. And between the two, I think that Cam Reddish is clearly a more superior player. But, all right, let's go ahead. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to – and I think that's a very obvious thing. Him and R.J. Barrett were teammates in college. Yep. They're getting back together, bringing back those old Duke days. But even though I'm not a Duke fan, but it'll be cool to see a nice little reunion. Now, moving on to a trade that just seems not to have happened. Um, as we all know, Ben Simmons is unhappy with Philly. Philly's trying to move him, but not much has happened. Um, ben Simmons' agent, Rich Paul, met with Daryl Morley in the front office trying to get something worked out. As we all know, it has not happened yet. But Philly is trying to do a new tactic. Apparently, they are also trying to package Tobias Harris um, and Ben Simmons into a trade package, which on the one hand may not be the worst thing, but Kyle Kuzma raised a really good point. How the hell you package 80 M's, 80 mil, in other words, $80 million. To be fair, both of them have both have really big contracts. Simmons is on the second year of a five-year, $177.2 million contract extension, and he has not played. Tobias Harris is on the third year of a five-year, $180 million deal. Apparently, they're doing this to try to free up some cap space to go after James Harden this next offseason. But do you feel like packaging the two together is helping the case to trade Ben Simmons or maybe Making it harder. I think it's making it harder because you packaging two really big contracts. Right. And like that's the thing where if you if Tobias Harris had a manageable if he had a manageable contract, and you pair him with Ben Simmons, in my opinion, it would make sense because Tobias Harris is a really he's a really capable and good player. But because you're basically you gave him kind of like semi max money, close to max money. And then you pair him up with Ben Simmons, who's another guy that has max money. Like, nobody, it's no way that you're going to be able to, you know, get something of equal value in return from a contractual standpoint, in my opinion. Yeah, and I agree. And then while we all know, like, basketball contracts are different than other sports, like, football for example that's still a lot of money and the thing is you're already kind of taking a chance get going after Ben Simmons anyway because we already know the specific type of player that he is and so with that being said I just think that putting that on top of how much money it would cost to get both of these guys I think that they are doing themselves kind of a a bit of a disservice because they're kind of painting themselves into a corner and making it a lot more difficult in order for things to actually happen so yeah I don't think that it's the right move I understand if you want to get rid of Tobias Harris because that's a whole lot of money but comparing pairing that with Ben Simmons is not helping out anybody's case Speaking of help in this case, Ben, after a very productive stint with the Milwaukee Bucks, it came as a shock to many that the Bucks decided to waive center DeMarcus Cousins. He was very productive in his 17 games, averaged nine points and 5.8 rebounds and five uh, with five starts. And the, actually the day before he was released, he had 15 points and 10 rebounds, three steals and a blocks. 
than a block in 20 minutes. Now, he's supposed to be signing a 10-day deal with the Denver Nuggets um, sooner rather than later. But, Ethan, with his stint with the Milwaukee Bucks, do you think that Boogie has earned a contract with the team for the rest of the season? I think so. I think that he he showed that he can still be a productive player in this league. Um, He's obviously nowhere near the dominant force that he was before he came, before he occurred those injuries. But when he came back for the Bucks, he he was a positive player. Like you said, he was averaging nine and five, and he also has tools that you can use in today's NBA. Like he was one of the first one of the first centers to actually be adept at shooting threes. Like, and he still has the capability of banging around. I know the only deficiency with him is defense. But if you're in a situation, depending on matchups. You can have him on your you can have him on your team and he could be a really incredible asset. Yeah, I am agreeing with you. I think that he really Compared to other senses he's had over the last few years, I think that the Bucks one, not only was it his best one statistically, but I think it was a really big confidence boost. I think it showed him that he can still perform and still can play at a pretty solid level. And so even though I, it probably won't be with the Nuggets, I do think that sooner rather than later, somebody is going to give Boogie a chance to play for the rest of the year, and I think that he has earned that. All right, let's go ahead and play Believable or Buffoonery, starting with Kawhi Leonard, who we all know suffered a serious knee injury just a few months ago in the playoffs. But um, reportedly, he is ahead of schedule with his torn ACL rehab and is expected to return in the 2021-2022 season. Now it's January. We still got about five more months before the season ends. So Believable or Buffoonery, we will see Kawhi Leonard play at some point of the year. I'm somewhere in between, and the reason I'm saying this is because I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if he is ahead of his um his rehab and his schedule to return, but I also know the health fiasco that went down with Kawhi Leonard and injuries in the um, San Antonio Spurs organization, and this is a guy that you can say he's ahead of schedule, and then you think he's going to return, and then he could potentially be like, well, I went to my guys, and they said I'm not ready, yada, yada, yada. So I'm somewhere in the middle because I think that if he actually really is ahead of schedule and he can make a return, I think he will because Kawhi's a guy that he wants to he's, – he, he doesn't talk much, but I, I'm pretty sure he's a guy that wants to win another NBA championship. And, like – but the only thing is, is just with his history of like dealing with injuries and the um fiasco that happened in San Antonio. I'm partially, um, what's the word? Like I don't believe it. That's fair. I'm gonna say buffoonery. One because. Like you mentioned, I mean, he has an extensive injury history. And the worst thing you want to do is try to rush somebody back who has had a history like his back into action. Because if anything, it's only going to expedite another injury or could re-aggravate the injury that just took place. And also... I know right now the Clippers are the seventh seed. But realistically, I think that as the season wears on, I don't see them as a playoff team. I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs. So I don't think that he's going to try to jeopardize himself or re-aggravate an injury for a year that could be potentially lost, especially if Paul George is unable to return to action. So I think that reason more than anything is why I don't think we see Kawhi this season. 
All right, but we have what we have been seeing is the Memphis Grizzlies ball out. As you mentioned in your takeaways, the Memphis Grizzlies are that squad, and they are talking like it. Um, we saw, I'm sure you've seen the video of LeBron James trying to check him for talking stuff to him repeatedly. You can see him saying, this is the last time y'all disrespected me. Stop talking shit. But pretty much they can talk all the stuff they want because they're on a 10-game win streak. They can do what they want, but believable or buffoonery, do you feel like the Grizzlies' trash talk is going to cost them in the long run? No, I don't, because I think that's a part of the identity of the team. Like, they're a young team. They they don't care who they, who you are, i.e. Desmond Bain messing with LeBron and talking trash to LeBron, and people don't understand that this has been a reoccurring thing, honestly, ever since Ja came to Memphis. Like, I remember... I think it was last year where LeBron was pissed when he was in Memphis because they were talking trash to him on the side when Ja was injured and Jaren was injured and they were talking trash to him when he was on the sideline. So I don't think it's going to cost them because I think, like, that's one of those things that feeds into the identity of their team. Like, they're brash, they're, over, they're confident, and, like, yes, it can add fuel to the fire, but I, it can add fuel to the fire of other teams. But it's also situations where you look at other teams like the Golden State Warriors who, when they were at peak of powers, they were one of the biggest trash-talking teams. Like, Steph was disrespecting people. Draymond, you know the trash-talking he is, and it didn't really cost people. I don't – I think if he's a part of your identity and it feels like you're fired and it feels like the, it, the chip that you have on your shoulder and it is your team, I don't think it'll cost them. Yeah, I don't think so either because, I mean, it's not like they're talking trash and they're losing. And it's not like they're just beating bad teams. They are beating some of the best teams and some of the best players in the league. They got the Nets, they got the Lakers, they got the Warriors, like in a pretty substantial span. And, I mean, I hate to break it to anybody who's never been in Memphis, but all people do is talk stuff there. Everybody in Memphis talks stuff in one thing or another. It's literally, literally, that's just what the being in Memphis is. And then you attribute that to this being a very young team and a very confident team. Of course, they're gonna talk their stuff. I mean, what's the worst that's gonna happen? They lose and you talk stuff back. I don't think it's gonna cost them either. Just because, I mean, like you mentioned with the Steelers, they're playing with house money. Nobody expected them to be this good. Nobody expected them to reach these expectations. So this win streak and anything else that they do when they reach the playoffs is just the caveat. That's the cherry on top. But I think that they're just outperforming expectations. They deserve the right to be proud about it. But speaking of outperforming expectations, a duo of Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan have been doing that all season, maybe minus that Nets loss that they just had. But even still, Kendrick Perkins had strong words to say about him and said they are the best duo in the league, believable or buffoonery? Oh, that's buffoonery. I think that you have KD and James Harden. You have, like, it, when healthy and when they're clicking, I think the best duo in the league, honestly, is LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like, I understand what DeMar and Zach are doing, but they – they're, they're kind of taking the league by storm with it. And I think LeBron and AD, they are cemented because they won, they won a championship. And in my opinion, they are, even in LeBron's elder years age, they are two 
top 15 players in the NBA. And I can't say the same for Jamal or Zach. Yeah, I'm saying buffoonery on that too. Now, in this season, they definitely have both played tremendously, especially DeMar DeRozan. I mean, he's been so fun to watch. And the Bulls are, as I mentioned with the Grizzlies, are definitely outperforming what everybody expected them to do. But in the grand scheme of things, I would not exactly say that they're the best duo just because I feel like there are times when, let's be honest, we've seen them both get outplayed. I mean, we've seen them get outplayed by other teams. We've seen other teams outperform them. Perform them. But right now, I mean, it looks good. So you just pretty much just take what you can get. All right, last piece before we make our game picks. Chauncey Billups, head coach of the uh, Portland Trail Blazers, knows a thing or two about point guards and following the team's uh, game against the Brooklyn Nets and seeing Kyrie Irving up close. He was very complimentary of him. To which he said, I personally think that as somebody that has played the position, I think Kyrie's the most skilled player that's ever played the position, that being point guard. So, believable or buffoonery, Kyrie is the most skilled point guard of all time. Believable. I think that given his capabilities as a ball handler, a shooter, a finisher, a like he has the whole package. He can post you and as a point guard, a lot of people don't attribute this to his game, but he's a point guard that actually coaches people up. A lot of times you assess their skill set with bigger point guards like a Darren Williams. Um but Kyrie, he isn't the biggest of guard, but he posts you up and he he has, in my opinion, from a guard standpoint, he has every skill that you imaginably could think of. Because he also, a lot of people get wrapped up in his ball handling and his scoring capabilities. But he is a really good passer when he, you know, needs to make plays and move the ball. So I think myself personally, I have to say believable. Yeah, I'm also saying believable with that as well. I think that when you look at what, I mean, Kyrie has done over the course of his career, minus, you know, the personal feelings people have about him. Nobody can doubt that he is a bad, bad man. And you mentioned that with from scoring to passing to being able to do things in the paint. I mean, just the overall variety of his game is something that is rare. And just to see compared to all time talent, I mean, he's definitely been one of the best to do it. So, yeah, I agree with you. I would definitely um say that he definitely deserves to be in that conversation for the most skilled point guards of all time. But all right, let's close this out, making our game picks for tonight, starting off with the Golden State Warriors versus the Milwaukee Bucks. This is going to be a good one, but I'm going to go with the Bucks. Yeah, Draymond's not playing. I'm going Milwaukee. Los Angeles Clippers versus the New Orleans Pelicans. I got – this is tough. I'll, I'll say Pelicans. Yeah, I'm going to say Pelicans as well. Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Memphis Grizzlies. I got Grizzlies. Grizz. Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Brooklyn Nets. I got Nets. Nets. All right, last but not least, the Portland Trailblazers versus the Denver Nuggets. I got Nuggets. They want to bounce back and get revenge against after blowing their lead against the Clippers. Yeah, I got Nuggets. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X-Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X-Report. Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close this bad boy out? Uh, you know, Greg, go Greg, Big 12, vote John Moran for the All-Star game because he's supposed to be a starter, not Luka. Uh, oh, 100%. What else? 
if the Titans make it to the Super Bowl, I'm going to put out a video of me hitting the gritty uh, and go Titans. And, yeah, it's just I'm riding the high still. You know what? I'm going I'm to let you enjoy your high because, as we all know, all of my teams just – this wasn't the year. But for from a wrestling standpoint, I'm doing great because in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be at the Royal Rumble. So I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully, yeah, I'm going. I mean, it's in, it's in St. Louis. So at the very least, you know, it's somewhere familiar. And it's not like I got to pay for park, pay for a place to stay. So going to be there. And I got some pretty decent tickets. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully somebody I don't like win. I mean, doesn't win because that would suck. But, so yeah, my wrestling year is going to make up for everything else that has taken place in football and basketball. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.